0: Church, first of all, it is always a privilege for me to be able to speak with you. I'm so thankful to Pastor Mark and the entire pastoral team for the privilege. And there's a couple things that I want to say to you even before we get started into the heart of the message. And the first is that I believe the Lord wants me to tell you, church, not to lose heart. Can you say that right where you're at? Not to lose heart. Not to lose heart. Now, I want you to know that you are God's beloved right, and adds his beloved, he assumes the supernatural responsibility for your welfare. In 1 John, or excuse me, in John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And there is a picture here that you may not see. Actually, in Jesus's day, this was super common, that a shepherd would pen his sheep at night and then lay down at the opening of that pen to go to sleep. So if there was any predator, if there was any threat or or danger, they'd have to go through the shepherd to get to the sheep. And so who knows that you have a good shepherd? You have a heavenly divine shepherd who literally laid down his life for you. And if he was willing to do that, church, I cannot believe that he will not meet you at the point of your need, whatever it might be. I am believing God, and I'm, I'm saying, right, I'm declaring that there is no situation, there is no circumstance that requires more work on God's part than the work he did to redeem you, to save you from your sin. So if God was willing to do that, if he was willing to shed blood for your protection, for your salvation, there is nothing Thing that God is not willing to do on your behalf. And so that church is the love of God clearly demonstrated towards us. He has not, and he will never leave you alone. And so another thing that has just kind of wrecked me in the last couple weeks is something God impressed on my heart just so clearly from John eight 29. Um, it's been with me this entire week, and it sounds like this. It's Jesus speaking, and he says, And he who set me, meaning the Father, he who set me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So I don't know about you, but I hear that. And I'm like, easy for you to say, Jesus, you're Jesus. So of course, right, you always do the things that are pleasing to the Father. But what about me, right? I failed yesterday. I failed this morning. I'm probably going to fail this afternoon. What do, can I say that? Can I say that the Father is always with me and he has never left me alone because I always do the things that are pleasing to him? And so if you've been part of a kind of Christian churchdom, for any period of time you know that the correct answer to that question is yes, of course, Victoria, of course. God does not abandon you when you fail. You know that, I know that. And so my question though is that is that a mental assent or is that a truth that we believe and we live out? Right? Is that is that rooted deep in our heart and is that something that because we believe it we live it? So I I, I wonder, and I've seen this in my own life, right, or, or when we fail, do we think of ourselves as far from God as now there's, you know, there's, there's bad blood between us, we're out of his good graces and now we have to do something in order to return back into the place of favor, and so I want to start by telling you a story that happened in the Old Testament. It comes out of Numbers 23. Um, and it, essentially, the people of God, the children of Israel, are at war against a king called Balak. And that king, uh, um, he's not great, but he knows that the God of the Israelites, that's, that's something. There's some power going with them. And so in his kind of evil genius, he decides to hire this kind of prophet to curse The people of God to curse the Israelites and that would then ideally hopefully give him an advantage to win the fight. So that prophet gets up above the battlefield and he sees the fight raging and the Bible says that God arrests his mouth and he says something powerful. He says God has not beheld Iniquity or sin. God has not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither has he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. And I love that, and I love it in the New Living Translation of that verse. It literally sounds like there is no misfortune in his plan for Jacob, no trouble is in store for Israel, for the Lord their God is with them. He has been proclaimed their king, and there is a Shout of a king among them. That gets me excited. I know about you. I don't know about where you are in, in life or just where you're even sitting in this moment. When I hear that, I know that there is no misfortune in God's plan for me. And I'm saying the same thing to you. There is no misfortune in God's plan for you, child of God. And I, this is such an important distinction. You have to catch this. God is not saying there is no sin in Israel, He's saying that God has not seen sin in Israel, right? God's eyes are perfect, but God, once we are put into the body of Jesus Christ, God sees us in Christ, right? So the sin that is in you, right, was put on the cross of Calvary, that now all that is extended to you is no longer punishment and condemnation and guilt and shame for your sins. All of your sins have been paid in the cross and we sing the songs and we talk about it in church, but we still live like God is holding sin against us. Then, then effectively, we're saying that the, and I love what um, one of my favorite pastors, Pastor Joseph Prince says this, essentially we're living like, like God didn't do a good enough job putting away our sins, If we say that our sin has been covered on the cross, but then we live like our sin is still needing to be paid by us, we're effectively saying, Jesus, nice try. Maybe that next time you go to the cross, you'll do a better job. No, friend, God is not going back to the cross. He did a perfect work the first time. And we can live with the knowledge that God is no longer treating us according to our sins, according to our behavior. He is treating us according to how Jesus is. And church, Jesus is perfect. It reminds me of Romans 4, verses 6 to 8, where Paul quotes the patriarch David, King David, right? David is, is saying these words, and then um, literally hundreds of years later, Paul is quoting him. And so Paul tells us, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessednesses of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works saying, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. And I I don't know about you, but the flesh in me is going, how is that even possible? Like, I fail, right? That is my reality. I fail. And so I, I want you to know that, I want you to hear that verse again, when Jesus says, he who sent me is with me, and he has never left me alone because I always do the things that are pleasing to him. The thing that Jesus did that was most pleasing ever, ever to the Father, he healed more people than the Bible gives us record for. He cast out demons. He provided supernaturally for people. But the thing that Jesus did that brought the Father the most pleasure, the most delight, was going to the cross for us, right? And and it he, the, the God, excuse me, the God who loves us so much. It's like the words can't even come out. The God who loves us so much is so pleased by that because that means we are now hidden in Christ. So how God sees Jesus is how God sees us. So yes, church, you can say that he who is with you has never left you and he will never leave you alone. Not because your actions are perfect, but because Jesus is perfect. Because your measurement to the father is no longer your behavior. It's the cross. It's no longer your good works, your charitable giving. It's the cross. It's no longer what you say or what you do. It is the cross. And knowing that will cause us when we have that belief deep in our souls, it will cause us to live in a way that glorifies God. It will cause us to live in a way that brings delight to him in which our behavior measures up to our believing, right? Because we believe that the father loves us and is with us always. It says in Romans 8, 9, that you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. And let me assure you, the spirit of God dwells in you, child of God, which means God has purpose in every situation that you find yourself in to ultimately lead to your benefit. Not everything that happens to us in this life is good. But we know because we are called according to the purposes of God, according to the purposes of heaven, that it all results in our good and that Jesus gets the glory. And if you believe that, I need a big old amen. Amen. Amen, church. So a few weeks ago, I was spending time with God, and he was speaking to me about waiting versus wandering. And I don't know if there's anyone... Watching me on your screen right now, that just loves uh, waiting. Just loves, loves to wait. Loves to wait in line for the grocery store. Loves to wait for your show to show up on Netflix that new season. Just loves to wait. I think this season specifically, right, has been so marked by waiting, waiting for things to happen, waiting for things to change. Wait and wait and wait. And there's a woman in the Bible. Her name is Hannah, and her story, I think, can talk to us a little bit about waiting. So it begins in 1 Samuel 1, and it goes to verse 6, and it sounds a little bit like this. Now, there was a certain man from Ramathaim Thayim Sophien, from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah. He had, in verse 2, he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And in verse 4, it says, When the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions— To Peninnah and her sons and her daughters, but to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. Now, I don't know if you just heard me say that. It says, the Lord had closed her womb. And your first question, or at least my first question, was, why would God do that? Why would the Lord do that to Hannah? We know, right? We could argue it's the first commandment to Adam and Eve, go be fruitful and multiply. So there's a promise in the word for those who want children to have children. And we also know that it was the desire greatly of Hannah's heart to have a child, right? So she has a promise from God. She has a desire put in her heart by God. So why then would that same God prevent Hannah from having children? So, the answer, if we drop down a few verses, we watch Hannah, right? She's going to the temple to pray. And this is a woman that the Bible says is greatly distressed of spirit. The word says that the rival wife, which could be its own um, message all in itself, but the, the Bible says that this rival wife has been tormenting her potentially for years, right? About her inability to have children, how she's not fruitful, how she's not able um, to, to have kind of a beautiful baby like, like this other wife does and all of her kids. And so you have Hannah, who's literally going to the temple to pray and to literally pour out her her heart before God and in first Samuel 1 11, it says she made a vow and said "O Lord of hosts if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant but will give your maidservant a son then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and a razor shall never come on his head. And I'm wondering, you, I'm wondering, friend, as you're listening to me, I'm wondering if you've ever been in the place where you have been believing God for something or some things and you haven't seen it yet. Maybe days, maybe weeks, maybe years. You've been believing God for the same thing, the same thing, and it hasn't manifested And so kind of as a quick caveat, just to be clear, under our our new covenant inaugurated by the blood of Jesus Christ, we don't have to make deals with God um, or, or try to, you know, give to get what God has already promised us in his word. He's already given us his son, which is the greatest gift. There's nothing we have, frankly, of value to God to be able to do this kind of exchange situation. But I do want you to see what Hannah says, and that's that she will give him, to the Lord and and then she goes one step further by committing him as a Nazarite that that phrase um, no razor will touch his head you might be familiar with the story of Samson it's a similar relationship it basically means that this person has been set apart to God they are under a special vow whether it's time limited or whether it's for their entire lifetime they have a special a special covenant a special relationship with God and so Hannah, it seems like, gave up her dream, but she didn't give it up, right? She gave it up, right? She didn't give it up. She didn't give up and say it's hopeless. She gave up her dream to the Lord, right? And so I want you to know that giving up our dream is not, is not saying that it's over, that it's done. It's, it's surrender, church, and it's saying surrender, God, you have to take this because I can't. And when we do that, I want you to know something incredible happens, that 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 thing can be used not just for our benefit, but for God's. When Jesus sees you ready to give your situation over to him, he is ready to pick it up. It doesn't fall to the ground, right? When you let go of it, he takes it and he brings it further and he makes it better than anything you could ever imagine. And we know practically, right, that's what happened in Hannah's life. She gave birth to the prophet Samuel, who God used to establish a kingdom government in Israel to anoint both Saul and later David as king. Samuel operated as a priest, as a military strategist, and just this massive figure, right, in the history of the Jewish people. And here was Hannah, just this woman who wanted a son, but God was wanting to give her not just a blessing, but the entire nation, Something extraordinary, church. And I wonder if the same isn't true for you. And in that same vein, I want us to make a little bit of a distinction between waiting, right? And this this kind of compulsion we have to work and try to make things happen. Because sometimes we think that we're working to accomplish the promises of God. But in reality, we're doing this thing like the children of Israel did, walking around in the desert, right? They had been told, enter the promised land, but they doubted the goodness of God, They were sure that what they saw in their circumstances was greater, was better, was was more of an authority than the God who told them, go and take the land. And so instead, they chose to wander for 38 years in the wilderness. And, And you have to know that's old hat. That's kind of a tried and true tactic of the enemy, unfortunately. If we remember back to Adam and Eve, they forfeited the garden because they doubted the goodness of God. They doubted that God was really giving them everything. They believed what the devil said, that there was something better that God was holding back from them. And I also, I hear kind of Jesus's gentle rebuke where he says to his disciples, O ye of little faith, essentially, why do you believe so little? Why aren't you willing to believe the bigness that I have for you? And so I I truly believe, church, that this is a season for us where God is saying not to wander and not to choose our plan over his plan, knowing when it's time to wait and knowing when it's time to move. And knowing when it's time to wait and knowing when it's time to move requires us to be dependent on the spirit of God. And before we get all kind of bent out of shape about how do you hear God's voice, the Bible says that those who are led by the Spirit of God, those are the sons of God. And so that means you son and daughter of God, right? You are being led by the Spirit as we speak. Even the desire to turn this on today, to listen to this message, that is you being led. The word says in Hebrews 8, 10 to 11, for this is the covenant that I will make after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind. I will write them in their hearts. I will be to them a God. They will be to me a people, and they will not teach their neighbor every man know me, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. And you hear that and you might ask, how is that possible when that doesn't seem to be my circumstance or my experience? And it rests on this, right? It rests on this, verse 12 of that same passage, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. And this is why, church, that forgiveness, righteousness, consciousness is so vital, Knowing and believing that your sins are forgiven will allow you to live with the consciousness that God's instructions are being written on your heart, that what he's telling you is being sent into your mind, written on your mind, that He is leading you by his spirit and the fruit being produced in your life is not by your works, but by his supply. And so there are three things I need for you to do for me into this coming week. The first is to believe in God's goodness. I love Hannah's prayer because clearly she's not praying to someone she she thinks is out to get her, right? She's not praying to someone she thinks hates her. She's praying to someone who believes, if I ask, he will do, amen? She knows she has a promise from God and that she hasn't received it yet. And so she's ready to implore that good God to make good on her promise. The second thing I would love to encourage you in this coming week is to wait when he tells you to wait. Waiting is amazing. And especially in this season, right? I need you to believe that God is not wasting his time or yours in seasons of waiting. Rather, he is perfecting and strengthening you to carry the bigness, the massiveness of what he has in store, preparing you, right? So you don't bow under the weight of it, but that you're strong, church to be able to go forth in victory in everything he's called for you to do. He is doing some amazing inward work, transforming you into the exactly the person in Christ he wants you to be. And then the third thing, church, is to move when he tells you to move. In the verses after Hannah's vow, um, the priest tells her, go in peace and may the Lord grant you your petition that you've asked of him. And then it says that Hannah went her way, ate, and her face was no longer sad. She believed the goodness of God, that if he said it, it's going to happen. And I have the same word for you, church. If he said it, it's going to happen. Don't doubt his goodness by continuing to be sad or living in, dis- in disappointment. Church, please go in peace, wipe your face, eat a snack and start believing that God is going to make good on his word. I, this reminds me so much of, of like when couples, when they find out they're pregnant, they usually don't spend nine months doing nothing right? They usually, it's like all activity, right? They're, they're painting things and buying things and, and, and getting lists together and going to classes. Like they're making preparation because they believe in nine months, there's going to be a baby. And so I'm wondering in exactly your season, what would preparing, what would prepping for your promise look like? What kinds of preparations would you make I, I'm reminded of Isaiah 54, right? It's this, this, this exhortation to this, this woman who has not had children. It says, sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Here's where we have to catch it. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Don't hold back lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes for you will spread out to the right and to the left and your offspring will possess the nations and your people, the desolate cities. This is literally a command to get ready, to get excited. I believe this so much as we go into this new season, right, of coming together. I want you to get prepared that we are possessing the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're about to possess places in our communities that look desolate, that look like there's no hope. That is exactly the ground that God has given us to walk through and to make a garden, to make the barren places, to make them lush and full of life. And so when we do what God is telling us to do, Lord, I take you at your work and I'm gonna act like it's true. You said it, so you're gonna do it. If we can do that and trust him, just like Hannah Church, we're gonna walk into the promises of God and discover it was way bigger and way better than anything we could have dreamed, hoped, or imagined. Welcome to Church Online. My name is Pastor Mark, and I just want to say thank you for taking the time to join us in watching our services online. Maybe you can't be at our location today and you're watching this from home or on the road. We just want to say thank you for tuning in and maybe you can't get to a physical location at Grace Capital Church, then this becomes part of your regular routine to do church live on your computer or on your device. We wanna say, invite some friends with you. Do church together. Life is so much better together and discovering what God has for us is meant to be done in community. Gather people together and enjoy these services for weeks to come. Thank you for watching.